0: Today we're going to continue in our backstage series and we're talking about, I told you we're going to show you the back, kind of the behind the scenes of what church life is, is often like and, and Jesus talks about a different group of churches in this series in, in Revelation. And they we're going to continue talking about a church that's very famous for what happened there. And it, when, I, when you read this passage, it, it made me think of something that actually just happened to me yet again. It's happened to me many times throughout my life. We were in a, a, a personnel meeting the other day, and, and uh, man, I, I, got, I got totally duped on something. Um, so, there were these bottles of water, okay, and they were awesome. They were like in this tin can. they were really cold, and I grabbed one and drank it. It was great and and, and I was like, man, I, I want some more of that so what you know what they don't do in their branding is they don't make it super obvious that that one of them's like soda sparkling stuff. So you know how like you got you ever had this where you had your mind ready for something and you drank something else, and it's Awful, like I I remember a time uh, when I was a kid, I think it was Purity that was making, they would make orange juice in yellow jugs and milk in yellow jugs and my mom would buy both. And you'd go, and I was notorious for drinking from the jug, you know, which, you know, moms hate. And, and so I think that's been something that all boys do. And so I would go grab the jug of orange juice. And if you got milk, oh, man, because your mind is ready for something else, right? And there's no going back. Like I couldn't erase it. Uh, that whole meeting, I was sabotaged because I grabbed this sparkling water, and it was gross. And it's, it shouldn't even be on the market. And, and it bothered me a lot, still does. I may just need to call them and say, come on, make that thing orange or something where I know what I'm grabbing if I'm, you know. Um, and and it, it makes me think a lot of, of what we're going to read today. You know, there's a, there's a very famous preacher in the last 40 years was a man named Warren Wearsby. And he's a he's a fantastic communicator and a really great commentary writer. And Warren Weersby, I read this article that he posted uh, it was an actually it was an interview with Preaching Magazine and and yes, they make magazines for guys like us. And and um, and in this article, it was decades old. He was even he was getting old then. And, and and he said something in that article that I've never forgotten. Now here is an intellectual among intellectuals, and he said the older I get in preaching, I, I've just given up the need to try and be profound. And, and I thought, man, that's pretty interesting. From a guy who is very capable of being profound, you know, there's a pressure when you come up here to try to show you and what he was getting at in this, in this interview, there's, there's a pressure to try to unlock something that like nobody's ever seen in 2000 years and that's just not gonna happen. And so today I'm gonna talk to you about a passage and I'm certainly not gonna try to be profound, but I will tell you it's a tough passage. It, it's a tough passage because Jesus is just blunt He's not harsh. He's just blunt. See, we have this picture of Jesus as this uh, meek and, and, and suffering servant, which he certainly was. But if you read the New Testament for what it is, you see a side of Jesus often that is not gentle. Like, take, for instance, the time that Jesus went, in, went into the temple with a bullwhip, kicking over tables. And, you know, we don't, pr- we don't know what to do with that kind of Jesus, that, that has that kind of anger over holiness issues. Jesus today is, 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 he's just, he's blunt with this particular church. So here's the good news for us. We're going to look at what they did, and we're going to learn from it. And I love doing that. I, 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 it's, it's a Bible study method that I use often in my own personal life. I call it uh, Observe the Opposite. So it kind of works like this. Just observe the opposite. You look at a situation, you see where they went wrong, and you do the opposite. Okay? So, And I do it. I do it all the time. I'll give you a perfect example. Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They will see God. Right? So flip it. Not blessed are the not pure in heart. They will not see God. So, so it's, it's fascinating what you can learn uh, in, in the scriptures when you flip it. So we're going to observe the opposite today. We're going to look at these people, and we're going to look at where they missed it, and we're going to see what we can learn from it. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. It's the very last book of the Bible, and this is a church called Laodicea. And it's a complicated name, but, but it's a very, very famous church, for what Jesus says to them. So it's the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. If you're on a digital platform, it would be uh, the New American Standard, NASB, if you want to go word for word with me on this deal. So let's look at it. Here's what what Jesus says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea Right, the amen, That, that means the so be it. It's an absolute. The faithful, the true witness... The beginning of the creation of God. Now he speaks to the church. So he, he literally is communicating with the church, just like Clearview. And this is what he has to say to them I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or excuse me, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I I am rich, and I've become wealthy, and I I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may become rich. And white garments, that is, buy from me white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I'll dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. And I also... As, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what you see in this passage is, is a whole lot like me accidentally drinking that seltzer water the other day. I didn't, you know, just throw it out of my mouth, you know, for the whole personnel committee to, you know, enjoy, you know, which would have been gross, right? But... There's just, you know, here's the reality of this passage, you guys. There's just no dignified way to talk about puking. It's even a little strange. I mean, personally, I don't even like it. Even when we had little, when our boys were little, like, that's the fastest way to get me out of the room, you know? I mean, I might just faint. It's awful. I have zero tolerance for that. Like, I've... Filled-dressed elk cannot handle children. And the Ralphin, no, won't do it. Uh-uh. Won't do it under any circumstance whatsoever, you know? And, and, and so there's just no dignified way to talk about this. And I think that's what makes this passage, it's one of the most famous metaphors in all of Scripture. Can you imagine that when God thinks about a church He's saying, you make me want to vomit. I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. It's the most severe form of rejection I can think of. The mental picture is, what's well, staggering, isn't it, that God would say that about a church? Why would he say that? Well, I, I think there's, there's, there's a re- revelation in Revelation here about why he would say that. If, I want you to look in verse 20. I think in verse 20 is where we see the reveal. You got to kind of back up for a second and look at it. It, it. Jesus says to them, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Now, now think about something for a second you only when you knock on a door when you physically when you knock on a door what are you doing you're asking for entrance into a place that you don't have access right if you have the key you go in but when you knock you're asking for entrance into a place that you are, you're being denied access for whatever reason. You see, weren't they a church? Were they supposed to? They? Yeah, they're, they're a church. Well, how, do you, how, how can you be a church that God wants to, to, to vomit? How can you be a church that, that God wants to, to vomit? Well, I, I believe when you look at verse 20, what you discover is that they were a group of people calling themselves a church. But Jesus had no access, and so therefore, it'd be kind of nice if you guys would let me in, would change things, not a little, but a lot. It made me think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7. I put it on the screen for you so you don't have to turn there. Look at what Jesus said. This is another. Brutally candid verse that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, now I want to stop there. Meaning, not everybody who calls themselves a Christian, if you will, not everybody who says, I'm a Jesus person, not everybody that says that to me will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to stop. Don't read don't on. Look right here for a second. For all of those of you at home, just look, look right here for a minute. Let that sink into your DNA. There's a lot, Jesus is saying there's going to be a a score of people on the day that they stand before eternal God that are going to believe they were Christians and they are not. Look at what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's really a a parallel, I think, in some ways of verse 20. I stand at the door and I knock. I don't know you. I, I, don't, I only knock on the doors of places I'm, I'm not allowed access. And, and so Jesus saying, look, no, you said the right things. Listen to me, friend. You said the right things. You talked to the right things. You showed up at all the right things. But the reality is Jesus had no access to your life. So in a, what's the problem with the church at Laodicea? Well, I would say in a sentence it would be like this. If you could boil it down into a phrase, never Mistake a sanitized life for a sanctified life Now I want you to let that go deep into your life for a minute never mistake a sanitized life for a sanctified life Sanitizer boy, that's hot on the market these days. Isn't it? It's it's a big deal But it's not guaranteed to kill every germ It just makes you feel, you know, better. It does work to to some degree, right? But it's it's only it can only go so far. And, and, and so what we see in, in the church at Laodicea is they were, it, same thing in Matthew 7, they knew the right things, they said the right things, and maybe even they did some of the right things. In fact, I don't think these were bad people. Listen listen really close. I don't think these were bad people. Actually, I think it's probably the opposite. They were probably pretty good people, sanitized people, but they were not Sanctified people. So it it leads to the question, what does it mean to be sanctified? That's a a big church word, right? It's a big church word that we use a lot. I wouldn't expect you to even spell it. It, it, It's something that only people like me tend to. In Christians, we tend to use words like this. But it is a good word, and and it's a word that has its deep and rich with, with meaning. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, before I tell you that, I will tell you that first, before there's sanctification, there has to be transformation. And I think that's what was missing in the church at Laodicea. They had all the right outsides, but the insides. You know, you can't can't put hand sanitizer on your kidney. You can't put hand sanitizer on cancer. You can only put it topically, right? Right? So you, you can try, but it's, it's not going to get on the inside. So, so transformation has to happen. And that's what's going wrong in Matthew chapter 7. There, there had been people that said, oh yeah, Jesus is my Lord. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. But there was actually no real transformation. There first has to be transformation. And then there is separation. That's, that's what sanctification is. There, there first has to be transformation. And then there is separation. Now, let me tell you what to be sanctified. You hear that word at church from time to time let me tell you what sanctified means it means that that God saved me he transformed me so God saved me so I was saved for me September 2nd 1990 I was saved I was transformed I did repent there was transformation I was saved today I am being saved and there will be a day where I will be saved so there is there is literally justification there is sanctification and then there's glorification if you want, if that matters to you but but in, in reality what's happening right there is before the tra- before the, the setting apart so for you to for you to hear the word separation sanctify here's what it means you guys it means set apart now that's a big deal set apart like literally set apart so if, if you're a follower of Christ, then there's something has to happen. And what has to happen is not. Listen to me really cr- close, all you really good Baptists. Listen to me close, you who grew up in church. Listen to me close. I'm not trying to get you to doubt God's eternal covenant with you. But I'm telling you, there is a difference between moral reform and transformation by Jesus Christ. There is a difference between just getting better and just cleaning up and just saying the right things and stopping lying and stopping stealing and stopping cheating and stopping lust or trying better or doing better. Listen, you do not need, listen to me close, you do not need Jesus to be a good person. You don't. You do not need Jesus to be a good person. I know scores of people in my life and around my life right now that are good people. But if they died today, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. Because that is what the scriptures say. It doesn't matter if I want to believe that. It doesn't matter if I even believe that. That is what is going to happen. To people that are not transformed by Jesus, they spend an eternity separated from God. You say, boy, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know why? Because think about it. If you spend all your life pushing God out, you know what God will do? He'll do exactly to you what he did to Adam and Eve. When you demand your way, he'll let you have it. When you demand your way, and when you say, I'm going to be the boss of me, and I'm going to be the boss of my life, when you demand that, God will let you have it. So if you spend your whole life rejecting God, what makes you think when you stand before him that he's just going to somehow go, yeah, but boy, you did some good stuff back there. No, that's why you've got to have Christ to cover your sins and cover your life and fall under the umbrella of his total person. So there has to be transformation, but it's not moral reform. And sadly, that is what most Christians think of when they think of Christianity is moral reform but you see Colossians 1 tells us this look at what on the screen look at what Colossians 1 says to us that he rescued us from the domain that is the situation of darkness we were totally in the dark and he transferred us moved us over to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins that word transferred you know what it means it means he picked you up out of darkness and he he did it not you that's not you can clean up you don't want to be cleaned up you want to be saved friend. You want to be redeemed. You want to be completely crucified in Christ where the old man's gone and the new man comes. He took you out of a situation that you were powerless over and he transferred you over to a king of the son that he loves. See, the problem with Laodicea is there was no separation. Lukewarm. What is lukewarm? It's not hot or cold. There's no distinguishing property. Cold water has properties. Hot water has properties. Lukewarm water is just right in the middle. There's nothing really going on there. That's that's the illustration. So if you're going to be transferred from one kingdom to the other, listen to me close. When you're transferred from the kingdom of you to the kingdom of Christ, well, if there's a new kingdom, then there's got to be a new king. If there's a new kingdom, there's got to be a new king. And that's the problem, I think, with what you see in in Laodicea. They walked all around it. They walked in it, church life. They came to church probably often. They, They thought they were a church full of Christians, and Jesus, hey, could I come in maybe? Boy, what a statement. What a statement. So they reveal it. They reveal the nature of their condition. They were self-governing. And you see that in what Jesus says there in, um, I think it's in verse 18. Look in verse 18. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. I advise you to buy from me. That's a big statement right there. Gold refined by fire that you could become rich. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, I want to be your vendor. I want to be the agency that you purchase from. You're purchasing from everywhere else but me. I'm asking you to buy from me. You see, the problem with Laodicea, this is a big deal. They were seeking life outside the life giver. They were seeking life outside the life giver. There was no king over their life. They were the king of themselves. And so that's why you see Jesus say in verse 17, You say, look at verse 17. You say about yourself, when people ask you about you, you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I don't need anything. And you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You see, that is self deception. If you think you're rich, but you're really poor, you're deceived. You're deceived. If you, think, if you think that somehow your, your morality is going to, to b- purchase God's favor, well, that's self-deception. And mor- let me tell you something about mor- morality. Morality is a great cover. Did you hear me? Morality is a great cover. It can warm the cold places. Morality is that place where you... Because what we do is we compare ourselves. Well, you know, I'm... Not like them. Morality is a great cover, but their problem was self rule. Never mistake a sanitized life for a sanctified life. Never mistake a sanitized life for a separated life. The problem is they weren't holy unto the Lord. And friends, I want to tell you the longer I go in ministry, and the more. I listen to pastors across the country and the more I listen to Christian music and the more I read Christian books and the more that I read Christian media, you just don't hear a whole lot about our call to holiness, to be holy unto the Lord, holy unto God separated, not sanitized, separated, not sanitized. There's a verse that's been rattling around in my life personally. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. I don't think it's very complicated. I think maybe I want to make it complicated. You ever do that to the Bible? I do that sometimes. Like... Work really hard, you know, when, when Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's like when Jesus said, it's really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Like, what does that mean? I think what he meant was it's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because they got everything and they don't realize they're poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked because money can be a great cover, just like morality. So I've been thinking about this verse, and I've been reading this verse, and it's just one verse stuck by itself, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he said. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. One verse. No real context. A simple picture. But I want you to look at that for a minute. In typical Jesus fact, Jesus was like, like crazy simple. I, I love, Jesus would look at birds and say, oh, like, you know what, like, like the birds. Like, let's look at the birds for a minute. Jesus was, he was very much on his toes in conversations. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who owned a business. So this is a merchant. He, he's a business owner. He owns a small business. Maybe, maybe it's a big, maybe it's a company, but it's probably a small business. And he's, he's a pearl man. He, he's, and he sells pearls and he's he's looking. Notice the word seeking. He's, he's seeking fine pearls. And then he finds, but he but then he finds, like, he finds this one. And it's like, it's like no other pearl he's ever seen, ever. But the problem is. This is where it's going to get painful for those of you that have a really good cash position. He can have it, but he's got to liquidate everything. Now, I don't know about you, but draining my 401k is not something I want to think about. But the man, once he saw the real thing, he had the money. He had the stable business, but to get the one pearl, he had to be willing to leave everything else behind. He had to be willing to let go of all that he had his grip on to get the other. And that's the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But they self-ruled. They demanded their own way. Moral people, good people. But very much lost people. Never mistake a sanitized life for a sanctified life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. of sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.